Okay, everybody, and welcome back to the extras. My name is Sam, and I'm James. It's great to see your pixels today, James. It's uh, wonderful <laughs> to be here, uh, thinking, thinking big thoughts, thinking God's thoughts after Him. Uh, particularly as we wrap up this last podcast on our series in the Book of Joel. What a great time we've had! Thanks for serving us on Sunday. And how have you found your time in the Book of Joel? It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed being in Joel. I've enjoyed. Um, I, I mentioned this at, at morning church and at North Rocks Church uh, live stream that I've been spending a lot of time in the Minor Prophets myself and just trying to delve into these books and see how Joel fits within the wider scope of of the Minor Prophets. It's it's been it's been a, a tremendous privilege, and um, I'm so glad I've been able to preach two in this series of, of six and we're thankful to Raj for preaching the other four. It's been a great series mate lots of uh, lots of love. I was super encouraged at, at night church we had a bunch of people on Sunday share just a short personal kind of t- reflection on uh, things that, that God been, had been teaching them and reminding them particularly about how to keep going as Christians uh, having, having heard Joel and I was just edified if you, if you haven't seen that jump on and re-watch parts of those, those bits of the live stream they were, they were pretty awesome so yeah thank you We've got some questions because you were uh, with us in the back half of chapter three, the very end of the book, uh, which we're going to dive into. But can you just give us a quick sort of 20 second reminder just to get our heads back into gear? What's that part of the Bible all about? And then we'll do a couple of questions on it. We come to the end of the book of Joel and it's a moment of triumph, a moment of summation. And what we see at the very end out of all these promises and acts of restoration, what's the final cry of praise? the Lord dwelling in Zion. And so where we went in terms of a teaching and application point and Sunday was, well, what is it that's going to make heaven heaven? And where we landed is what will make heaven heaven is enjoying the presence of God forever. Yeah. Infinite joy in the presence of God forever. And then we thought a bit about some, some ways in which that helps us understand why Jesus came, uh, what we should focus on when we're sharing Jesus with others, and our Christian life here and now in our life together because we experience something of God's dwelling presence with us right now. Yeah, amen. Come Lord Jesus so that we can dwell with God. That, that, that's uh, it's a wonderful hope that we have. Um, let's dive in. Uh, we've got a couple of questions just sort of um, kind of getting into a couple of little details to get us going and then we've got some great big picture kind <coughs> of theology questions that uh, I'm keen for us to chew on together. So... Um, Let's, let's get in. So verse 18 speaks about the Valley of Acacias. Uh, someone's texted in a, qu- a question just sort of saying, uh, what's going on there? Verse 18 reads, you know, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and water will water the Valley of Acacias. What is that valley? Any significance? What, what's it all about? Mm, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, there's a particular valley or geographical location. I think that the... In terms of the, the scope of Joel 3 and, and here at the end point of Joel, it sort of functions in two ways. The first thing is earlier in Joel chapter 3, we've seen this valley of Jehoshaphat or this valley of decision. And this is a valley, it's a gathering point of judgment, uh, a, a time of um, and a place where God's uh, uh, justice is going to be enacted against the nations. But here in the valley of Acacias in verse 18, this is a, a a flow on of, of blessing, uh, a place of tremendous and abundant blessing that comes from the presence of God. So I think the first thing that it's doing, why is Joe mentioning it? 
It's a contrast between the valley of decision that we saw earlier in this chapter. The second thing is, if you just trace where acacias come up in, in the Bible, it doesn't come up very often. But there's sort of a concentrated section where acacias come up in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, um, acacia trees, and the wood um, of an acacia tree is um, what was to be used to, to create of the altar and the tables and bits of the tabernacle, uh, the, the place where God's people would um, come and uh, the priests would be able to, to offer their sacrifices and, and come into his presence. And so there's something really interesting going on here. Acacias were meant to be part of what forms the, 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 the parts of the Lord's house, uh, the ability for God's people to come and worship him. And remember back in the book of Joel here, we've seen that part of what is going on in the judgment was that the ability for God's people to worship him rightly was taken away. The mm. drink offerings and the grain offerings Well, here at the end of Joel, Joel chapter three, um, the, the, the acacias um, are watered and such that God's people will, you know, in, in terms of this imagery, they'll be able to make the, the altars and the temples and the tabernacle again to re-enter into God's presence, mm. to serve him again which just fits with this theme of dwelling with God forever. Yeah, so, so part of God's grace here, I guess, is, is that kind of this rejuvenating water flows out of the temple from, from he is the source of it, but it enables them to continue in the joy of worship, if you like. Um, and I think particularly just back in Exodus, the, the key thing about Acacia is that the Ark of the Covenant is made of Acacia, the very, uh, yes. the very yes. thing that where God himself, literally the, the center point of the, the temple where God dwells, um, is made of acacia. It's, a, it's an acacia box. And so it's kind of like God is promising blessing so that there'll be more experience of the presence of God. It's this sort of, I don't know, uh, yeah, beautiful, virtual, virtuous cycle that God is providing so that there'll be more of God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's really helpful. Thank you, mate. Uh, let, let's push on. Um, uh, the second one here is about verse 21 and, and a bit of a a question around translations because um, say ESV and sort of the new version, the NIV uh, verse 21 reads, I will avenge their blood, which I have not avenged. Um, but Holman and I think the old NIV both say, I will pardon their blood guilt, which I have not yet pardoned. Um, what do we do when firstly when, when translations differ and, and why in this case do they seem quite different? Mm, yeah. And, one of the great things that we have is a whole abundance of English translations that, that you know, um, wise men and women have done the work and try to understand the original languages. Um, there is a difference here. And part of the difference is because a different manuscripts, um, as I understand it, they have a, a slight difference of, of one letter. And it's so interesting, isn't it, that just a, a change or a difference in one letter can actually end up changing um, uh, the translation that we have here at verse 21. Now, we do have these two different lines here, you know, ESV, NIV 11, Holman, Old NIV. What do we get here from these different translations? Well, let's think about the first one. The one that says, oh, I will avenge their blood. This one fits within the broader scope of chapter 3, where what we've seen is that God is enacting justice. Here at this climax point of the book, he is um, bringing the nations, as we've seen earlier in chapter 3. The Lord dwelling in Zion, that final moment of victory, that cry of praise, 
is accompanied with God giving Israel victory over their enemies. A final victory, final justice, he is the avenger. And so this translation fits very neatly with the message of Joel and uh, the overall context of chapter 3. The second one, I will pardon their blood guilt. It's a theme that we've seen back in chapter 2, where God actually calls on the people to return to him, to rend their heart and not their garments, for he is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, he is forgiving. And so this line here about God pardoning their blood guilt actually fits really nicely with the message of Joel and what we saw in chapter 2. And so we're sort of caught in a thing here. It's really interesting that the modern NIV 11 um, has gone with the first version, I will avenge their blood, possibly because there's more manuscript evidence for this. But it's worth saying that both of these translations fit within the broader message of Joel. But the first one, the one we have in ESV and NIV 11, fits more neatly with the context of chapter 3. It's really helpful, James. Thanks for laying out those two options. And... um, it's it's also worth saying that with these kind of um, uh, I guess uh, variations, they're they're so few and far between in the scriptures, and really like this, they don't make a major difference to the way that you understand the main message of the Bible. They do exist, and they're worth wrestling over and trying to get our heads around. And we've got lots of great scholars who can help us with that. But we we want to sort of encourage you that actually they're they're, they're very few and far between, and they they really don't make masses masses of difference if you go one way or the other on, on on this you're not really changing the message of joel are you no not at all yeah and we have great uh we have we have such a great privilege to to have so many great english translations um and we pray that more translations of the bible will go out so more people will be able to read it for oh, themselves. all right let's, let's get moving along here um uh tonight uh, well, I imagine this was a night church question. Tonight we heard that uh, in heaven we will truly experience and know the presence of God. Do, do we not already have that as a Christian with God himself, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? That's a, that's a great question. There's a similar one like it where someone's saying, look, aren't we already a temple where God dwells by his spirit? What's then going to be so different about the new creation if new creation is dwelling with God? Haven't, haven't we already got it? Yes. Next question, Sam. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, amen, yes. One of the amazing truths is not only do we look forward to the dwelling presence of God, but right now um, God is, is dwells in and among us by his spirit, joining us to his son, giving us access to the father. We get to experience the, the joy and knowledge of God's presence right now. You see that in a number of ways, don't we? In Ephesians 2, we see that we're actually being built together as God's people. And uh, the way I applied it in the sermon is, is this idea of one anotherness, that actually we are connected with brothers and sisters together. And you see other parts of the Bible, like uh, you know John 16, um, this idea that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us actually brings us conviction of sin as well. And so if, if you experience conviction of sin, that's God's presence dwelling in you, working in you. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, uh, growing our character, helping us to be more like Jesus. So, amen. We, we, we have the presence of God right now mm. um, already. But? But there's more to look forward to, isn't there? That's and I it. think that's the big but. Because we, we do want to know how much it is that we have. 
And yet, and yet, there is so much more to look forward to. Mm. Uh, the, the being able to be with God forever. You see, the thing is, right now, we experience it, but we don't see God do it. Mm. And, and so we should long for, and I know I do, and I'm sure you do as well, Sam. I long for right now this living by faith and knowing what I have for sure to also be face to face with God, mm. to, to see him and dwell in his presence um, and to experience that which will be even better. Yeah, that's right. So there is a sense in which the question here is right. We do have access to God, but we're, we're still waiting for a fuller uh, face-to-face experience of that, which will be better by far. Yeah. Yes. Um, so in that sense, can we? there's another question here that I think will help us just sort of push down this line a little bit further. And the question is, look, why is it so great that God will dwell with his people in heaven? What actually makes it so good and such a great treasure to look forward to? And can I enjoy that treasure now on earth? So let's sort of, um, yeah, try and get our heads around that. What, what makes it so good to look forward to? I think that we can't fathom how good it is because we, or we struggle to fathom how good it is because we just haven't experienced that level of joy or that, or that sort of um, uh, yeah, phenomenon yet. I mean, um, I forgot who shared this with me earlier this week. I was chatting with someone and they were saying, you know, when you try to describe color to someone who's colorblind, um, it's it's almost impossible. You know, how do you describe the, the, the experience of the color red to someone who can't see the color red? Um, but we can taste something of that um, because we know that, you know, kids have an experience and enjoyment of things and they can't really understand. But then we can see them, their eyes open up when they experience something for the first time or... or <clears throat> we know this idea that there are things that we haven't experienced um, that we can't even contemplate. We will be able to experience um, and this infinite joy the Bible promises us. That's what is going to be so great. But also throughout the whole story of the Bible, this hope of being able to see God face to face just echoes throughout. You know, in um, Numbers uh, oh, forgot what chapter it was now. No, number but six? A priestly blessing. Number six. Blessing. Um, sorry, Sam, you said where it is, number six? Is number it? six, yeah, I think it's 27-ish, verse 27-ish. Yeah, nice. Number six, 22 to 27, right? There There's this priestly blessing that Aaron is called to give to the people. And some of you may have heard these sorts of words maybe at the end of a service, um, depending on your church tradition. But, you know, this idea of the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This idea of, of, of experiencing the Lord's face, seeing him in his face is such a, a theme and a longing that we see throughout the Bible. And, you know, you, without going through all of the Old Testament, you see this picked up with Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul reflecting on, on, on love now and love in the future. He says, right now, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Mm. And so, 
it's sort of like what we saw in the last question, isn't it? We do experience the presence of God now, but we only know in part. Mm. Then we will see face to face and we will know fully. Yeah. And I, and I did this at night church. I went to 1 John 3, verse 2, that one of the great hopes we have is that we shall see Jesus as he is. Yeah. And just contemplating that, I, 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 I think that it's good. I know that it's good but I really don't know how good it will be until we, I get there. I think too, like just to put a bit of a more um, kind of illustration onto it perhaps, um, we know what it is to have relationships with human beings face to face and we also know how much better that is than being distant from them. Like we're feeling that right now, right? How much, all of us probably have someone that we just can't wait to see again. Um, you know, like I haven't seen my, my sister who's closest in age to me lives in Western Australia. Um, which means, you know, by the look of things, I'm not going to see her again for another 25 years, by the way things are going over there. You know, they're mad, a lot of them. But um, <laughs> I miss her. And I, 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 I can't, haven't seen her, haven't seen her husband, haven't seen her kids uh, for getting on, you know, almost two years now since, since we, we've seen each other. Now, we text, we ring. Um, there's real relationship. We're, we're, we're Zooming, um, you know. But there is nothing like the moment that's going to be when I see her again and I'm like, oh, it's good to see you and I give her a hug and we just sit down and be and talk and being face-to-face, we know that with human beings, right? And I think it's the same with God. We, we have him, he's here, we're able to engage with him through his word, uh, we, we speak to him, all of which are real and genuine ways of relating. But man, don't you just want to be with him? <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, that's just of a of a different order to, to when you know the WA border opens. That that's that's a much smaller scale of of I think a glimpse of what we're seeing, what what we will see here. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And just another small thing that um, I, I, I shared at, at Nine Churches, we we get on a human level that you know when someone makes something great or produces something great, there's sort of a you know we who's the maker you know mm. this is why steve jobs became so so famous for example you know christopher nolan people love his films they think he's a great director just imagine not even imagine just know god is the god who will end suffering yeah he's the one who will bring us infinite joy can you imagine just who the maker of the end of suffering how good he must be yeah um so just the, it's a, it's not the main point, but I think it, it's something there as an analogy that gets us going. You know, there are all these amazing treasures of heaven. Just imagine how good the creator of those treasures must be. Oh man, yeah. All right, let's keep going along. So we've been talking a lot about how how we're going to see God in the future. There's a question here, which is, how can I know that God is present with me here and now? And and more than that, how can I know that I'm not making him up in my head or through my feelings? Hmm. Thanks for the question. And I recognize that for a lot of us, we might feel a bit nervous about asking this sort of thing because, you know, struggling with doubts, struggling with where you are with God, um, it, it can, it's quite vulnerable to open up about that. So thanks for asking the yeah. question. Yep. Let's tackle the second part first, this idea of how do I know that I'm not making him up in my head or through my feelings? Yep. I think it's really important for us to recognize there are strong objective evidences and reasons for us to know uh, the, the reality of God. Yeah. I mean, you know, Sam, I, I did a philosophy degree. There are lots of 
rational arguments that show that atheism is irrational. Not mm. that Christianity is true. I don't think you can argue that just through a, like a logical argument. Um, but that atheism is irrational. But there are strong reasons for us to see that the God of the Bible is the God of all reality. And the clearest picture of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, that Jesus lived and died and rose again in time in history is the strongest evidence we have of knowing that we're not just making God up. You know, whether or not you have a conscious thought of it, historical events actually happened. You know, mm. we've got people who have conspiracy theories on, on doubting whether or not the moon landing happened or, or uh, the dreadful 9-11. Whether or not they, they um, uh, acknowledge it or not doesn't change the fact that there's this historical events that happened. Mm. Similarly, for, for you, regardless of where your feelings are at, not, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus really lived, Jesus really died, Jesus really rose again. And so I think there's very strong and compelling reasons to know uh, that God is present, God is real, you're not making him up. Do you want to add anything to that before we go to the first part of the question? I, I just want to concur. I think that's right. So, so, And that actually doesn't depend on our feelings, does it? Whether our feelings are up or down, um, the, the realities, the historical facts of, of Jesus coming, his death, his resurrection, they stand not touched by your feelings. Um, the other thing I would add is probably connected to that. There's another layer of evidence, um, which is just the creation. So Psalm 19 speaks about the heavens declaring the glory of God and the skies proclaiming the work of his hands. As you walk around, even though this world is not all that it should be, gee, it's a beautiful place and it, and it, and it shows something of the maker. Um, and, uh, enough to give you confidence that, that there is a God and then Jesus Christ is the one who shows you who that God is and what he's like. Mm, yeah, nice, nice. That's helpful. And so this first part of the question, how can I know that God is present with me here and now? And uh, what I imagine this question is getting at is maybe a, a, a doubt on whether or not God is really dwelling in, mm. in your presence right now, in you, uh, sort of like the similar uh, the earlier questions that we were thinking about and i want to acknowledge that um that your your doubts um are, are a, they're actually a sign that you care about this <laughs> they're a sign that you 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 have some sort of a, a question in your mind about whether or not you are seeking god you know romans 3 we looked at on um on sunday says that no one seeks god so in our natural states None of us actually desire God and want God and pursue God and want to trust in God. We may want his gifts, but we don't want the gift giver. And you see mm -hmm. this all the time where people will come to church, not because they're interested in God, but because they want to be part of a community or they want to be um, to, to feel some sort of relief for their own guilt. And so, brother or sister, uh, what I want to say to you, um, whoever asks this or anyone else who resonates with this question is this. Uh, one way in which you can know that God is present with you here and now is do you have any desire for him? Uh, you may not have a perfect desire for God. None of us do. You may not have a perfect love for God. None of us do. You may not have perfect obedience for God. None of us do. But do you have any desire for God? Mm. Do you have any desire to love him and pursue him and please him? If so, the only way that you could have that is because God has done a work in your life. And so keep cultivating that, keep praying that God would foster a deep, in you a deep love for him. And, if, and the fact that you have any desire to do that, the fact that you care about this question, 
I think is a strong sign that God is present with you here and now. Yeah, thanks, James. That's really helpful. All right, I'm going to move us along a little bit. Um, question number eight on our sheets, James. Um, when you said, if you don't desire God, heaven won't be enjoyable for you. Uh, he- heaven won't be heaven. Someone's looking to clarify that. They, they got a bit worried um, that perhaps you were saying that is heaven depending on my feelings? It isn't the reality that um, God's going to take those he, you know, who bow the knee to Jesus to heaven no matter what? Um, and is it even possible to be sad in heaven? What did, what did you mean when you, when you said that? Yeah. yeah, thanks for the question. Um, to answer the last part, is it poss- I didn't think it was possible to be sad in heaven. Is it possible to be sad in heaven? The answer is no. We know from Revelation chapter 21 uh, that God will wipe away every tear, that we, it is not going to be possible to be sad in heaven. Uh, this line, uh, this this sentiment of you know, if you don't desire God, heaven will not be enjoyable for you. Heaven will not be heaven. It came in the context of the sermon when I was speaking about cultivating a deep love for God, desire Him, and I think that it's important to say that in the ultimate sense, if you don't desire God, you won't enjoy heaven because you won't be in heaven. <laughs> um, if you don't have any desire for God there's a question on whether or not you genuinely have a faith in Jesus. And so that's really the sense in which I was trying to say, and I think it's important to say, grow that desire, Mm. cultivate that desire, long for God, uh, because that assures you that you're on the track to heaven Mm. and you will be able to enjoy infinite joy in heaven. Mm, yeah, so it's not it's not sort of saying that people are going to get there and, and regret going to heaven. That that wasn't your point. A bit a bit of rhetoric, I think, at this point, um, to sort of say, look, really, those who 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 love God will will, uh, will enjoy heaven because God will be at the center of it, right? Yeah, that's right. And the the quote that I shared from J.C. Ryle on you know very few men consider whether they will enjoy heaven if they get there. Yeah, it's actually it comes up in the context in his book Holiness, where he's talking about your growth as a Christian, sanctification. So he, sanctification, growing in godliness, justification, you know, your declaration that you are uh, saved, righteous before God. What he basically says after the quote is, if you are not growing in your sanctification, we have reasons to doubt your justification. Mm. Um, and that's the sense in which he's saying, you know, if you, if you don't even have any desire to grow uh, in your desire for God, we have reasons to doubt whether you will enjoy the fruits of of being declared righteous and coming into the presence of God. And, and therefore you're possibly not right with God because you don't, because those who are right with God love God. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let, let, let's keep moving on. We've got a couple more to go. Um, uh, someone's texted in, there's only 2% of Christians in present day Israel. How does this uh, reconcile with the prophecy of chosen people? Who are the actual chosen people, Christians or Jews? Any, any reflections on that? Lots of reflections. We did a bit of this in Ephesians, and we're going to look more at this in the next few weeks in Romans 9 to 11. So um, I'm going to uh, give a cheeky answer here and say, come back, stay yeah. tuned. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so a couple of weeks. We're going to do a series on uh, life in lockdown the next three weeks, and then uh, Jack and I are going to hit a series on Romans 9 to 11 where we're going to be tackling this, among a number of other questions, from the Book of Romans. So, Yeah. Great. Uh, okay. Uh, someone's texted in R.C. Sproul's comment, uh, which you quoted, a beautiful quote. Uh, sounds a bit like the chief end of man from the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which talks about to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What, what do you think? Mm. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> um, just to jog everyone's memory, R.C. Sproul's comments that you are made to enjoy the presence of your maker. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a, a, a pithy line, isn't it, about our purpose in life. And so, yes, it sounds a lot like it. And we're really thankful for the Westminster Shorter Catechism for being a summary of what we believe as Christians. Mm. Praise God. Praise God, indeed. Um, all right, we've got uh, about a minute left, James, and I, I skipped over a question before, uh, but I think it's a great one, and we, we might only have time to tackle it shortly. Uh, and someone said, question for today or for the extras, would it, it would be great if we could hear the personal testimonies of how the team of pastors and preachers came to know the Lord Jesus, how and when were they born again, etc.? Um, now, we try and keep these to about 30 minutes, and our, our timer at this stage is at 28 and a half, so... Uh, and I've, we've got about a 20-second close. So, James, you've got a minute. Can, can you share with us your personal testimony of how you came to know the Lord Jesus and were born again? Well, you know, you can describe me as the one that believes. Why use one word when you can use ten? But in any case, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, I, my parents aren't Christians. I did not grow up in a Christian family. And I had a bit of relationship with church and, and scripture and whatnot, but I became a Christian in year 11 reading a Bible in my bedroom. I love sharing this because there was no other person with me. I was reading the story of the paralyzed man, Luke chapter 5, lowered from the ceiling. And you think that this greatest need that this man has is to be healed from his paralysis, but Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And in the interaction with the Pharisees and scribes, something just clicked. And I know that it was the Holy Spirit working in my heart replacing my heart of stone, giving me a heart of flesh, where I realized that Jesus is claiming to do what only God can do. Mm. And in God's kindness, he's given us this this Savior who can forgive our sins. And that was just what I needed. It was the greatest need that I had, the greatest need that the paralyzed man had, and I was so thankful to accept uh, that forgiveness for myself. Awesome. Look at that, 29.59. We've just, <laughs> we've just rounded the 30-minute mark. So we'll wrap up there. Thank you, James. Um, this coming Sunday, folks, uh, we are, as, as we mentioned before, taking a little break from our normal schedule of preaching to just think hard about um, what God is doing in this lockdown time and how we as his people uh, might be called to endure and respond. And uh, I think it's going to be a very helpful three weeks. Um, a little word, like we really want to encourage you to, to tune in and be part of that series. Uh, but also, if, if there's someone that you're aware of who for whatever reason, is just struggling to either engage with church or growth group and has maybe just fallen off the wagon a little bit um, when it comes to um, doing church. We know that online church is hard and, man, we can't wait to come back to doing it face-to-face. But if, if you know someone in that boat, this would be a really good moment now just to think about contacting them and saying, hey, do you know on Sunday they're doing something special? And maybe even offer to tune in with them. I had a great story this week of, of some people um, who just because they're finding online church hard, are meeting together and watching it together over a Zoom call. Um, that might not be your thing, but there might be some other thing that you you, you you know. And if you are aware of someone who needs some help, maybe you can be the help for them this week. And uh, we just want to encourage you to, um, yeah, kind of get, get all hands back on deck just to think theologically and well about, about this time and um, ha- how to endure it well. Um, for Christ. Uh, so I want to encourage that uh, to you. We'll be back doing another episode of The Extras on that. That'll be, a, a, no doubt, a great episode as we, we think about what is God doing. Um, so tune in here again next week as well. But thanks for all your work in Joel, James, and uh, it's been a great time. 
So thanks everyone. Yeah, we'll see you, James, on Sunday somewhere, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, we'll see the rest of you online. Farewell. Yeah,